Um, last week I started into this, uh, this message, and as per normal it went into two, um, about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. There's a number of different names for it, um, but I want to continue with that message today. But I want to start with a, a video, because I said last week that the good news was not something, the, the concept of the good news was not something that Jesus established. It was something that existed before Jesus' time in terms of Hebrew thought and Hebrew understanding. Um, and I want to just show quickly this video. Now, um, my wife saw it last night, and it just shows probably the difference in the way that we think. There was one particular moment in it where there are some expressions of violence uh, just because of the nature of the story. And because of the nature of the story of Jesus's life, there is gratuitous violence that is part of that story. Um, and we've just got to acknowledge that, but just, just so you're aware, there are moments in this. So if you're triggered by violence or blood splashing with sound effects, it's animated so it's not real. Um, that is coming, so just brace yourself. Um, it's towards the end. You'll start to see it happen, and if you want to just close your eyes that, and, and your ears. Um, but I want to talk about, um, I want to show this video because I think it, um, it gives a good basis of understanding of what good news meant in Jesus' time, okay? Because I think for us, we need to understand how Jesus saw the good news and how the people that he ministered to saw the good news when he talked about the idea of the good news of the kingdom um, and the message of the gospel that we, we read about today, that had a context and that had an understanding. And sometimes for us today, we've got a whole bunch of stuff that we've, we've picked up over the years in Christian thought that sometimes divorces us a little bit for some, from some of those original contexts. And so we can miss some of the power and some of the simplicity of the gospel of the good news because it gets complicated by a whole bunch of other stuff that we've been taught. So I just want to play this video. So thanks, David. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And there it left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel? 
they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. And so how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Cool, eh? Thank you, Jesus. And so in that context, we read Romans chapter 1, which I talked about last week. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which is the writer of the book of Romans. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm not going to preach my message from last week again, but it is important for us to understand 
that good news is not the Bible. It's not a set of theological uh, beliefs that we understand. It is the truth about who Jesus is, was both then, now, and forever, that he's the king. The ultimate, as I said last week, of the gospel is the risen Christ. And that is the message that is good news to us. There's a whole bunch of stuff we can add around that, but the essence of the gospel of the good news is that there is a king, he is alive and well, and he is ruling and reigning. And you can, if you choose to put your allegiance to him, you can experience all that the kingdom of God has for you. That's good news. You know, for me, I, I, often, I often wonder and ask myself the question, what, what is good news for me today? What would be good news for you today? Is there something uh, that, that you're hanging out for, that you're crying out for, that's something going on in your world that you need the touch of God for? You know, last week I talked about that the good news is the power of God, the dunamis power of God, the explosive power of God to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring freedom, to bring release to every area of yours in my life. What are you crying out for from, from God? See, God's got good news for that. See, the kingdom is good news to that. You don't have to be bowed down by the things that hold you, that, that hold you prisoner, that, that capture you in your life anymore. The good news of Jesus is He's conquered sin and death. We, don't know, we no longer have to fear and we can live in freedom every day. That's what life in abundance is about. That's the good news of the kingdom. And, um, and Paul goes on um, in, in, first, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses uh, 1, 1 to 4, and he says this, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. If you read the previous chapter, he's talking about, um, about the importance of, of the good news, really. And he goes, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one uh, you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. There's this challenge for us, I think, in, in, in the Christian walk, sometimes we become so, so caught up in, in following Jesus and, and the grace and the love that He has available for us, which let me emphasize this, as you hear all the time here in, in KIC, God's love is unconditional and it's freely available to everyone. You are loved no matter what. Full stop exclamation mark, whatever emphasis you want to put around that. It is unconditional. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. It is there for you and He loves you fully as you are. And He knows you fully and accepts you fully and He loves you fully. Amen? That is true for all of us. And that's whether you're here today and you've chosen to follow Jesus or not, that is true for you. God loves you. Jesus conquered sin and death for you. And He loves you. That is true. 
Righteousness is given to us as a free gift because of what Jesus did. You are made right with God. It is not something you've earned. It is something you receive by faith. That is true. Full stop. Exclamation mark. You are righteous because of Jesus. Yet Paul warns the Corinthians and he says, you may think that, but you still are adopting ways of thinking. You're allowing things to come in that even though you're under grace and you understand love and you know you're righteous, you're allowing things to come into your world that actually are not the kingdom and they are not good news. And you're adapting, and I want to say say this carefully, you're adapting the gospel to suit you, not adapting you to suit the gospel. That's a, that's, a really, that's a really telling part of the good news. See, it's a kingdom. Huh. Did you hear that? It's a kingdom. And the challenge for disciples is their allegiances to the King, Jesus. And that only in our allegiance to Him and our following Him do we find and discover the fullness of freedom that He has for us. Yes, we're loved. Yes, we're fully accepted. Yes, grace is beyond measure. But the obligation of tasting and experiencing that is our life must align to the gospel. Amen. And our message to the world must not be complicated or polluted by anything that we think or that we get taught. With me, are you with me? So I want to suggest this, that if you truly know and have experienced the good news of Jesus, that must lead to a lifestyle that aligns with it. Must lead to a lifestyle that aligns with it. The Apostle John would put it this way. He says, if you say that you love God and yet you don't love your brothers and sisters, then the love of God is not in you. That's a pretty strong word. Yeah. See, the good news is absolutely true. So I understand there's a tension here. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about the Christian faith, it is full of tensions of paradoxes, of, of things, of two seemingly opposing ideas that you have to get used to the fact that they hold them in tension and both can be true at the same time that I'm forgiven and fully righteous because of what Jesus did, yet I still struggle with sin. And I'm still a sinner. Yeah? My, my identity isn't sinner. My identity is righteous, but I still struggle with it every day. Is anyone with me? Yeah? Tension. Both are true. You know, for me to overcome this particular part of, of, of the act of of sin and stuff that, that I know is not the best that God's got for me. When I say sin, that's what I mean, okay? I don't mean just wrong stuff. I mean the stuff that's not the best for you that God wants better for you than what you're currently living in. If you look at the law, it's anything that's imperfect is sin. So it's not the best for you. So often we, we minimise sin and we say, it's actually just the wrong things I do and I don't do wrong things. I just say, you're not living the fullness yet of the good news of the gospel yet, so you are a sinner because of that. But 
That is true, but our true identity that we need to focus on and allow to engage and fill our hearts is that we are righteous. Because actually to overcome that, this needs to become the strongest voice in your world. Right? If you struggle with voices in your head that tell you you're not good enough, and let me tell you, I do that. I I, I have that struggle personally. This week, I had a moment one morning where that was where I went, over here, into this world of I'm not good enough, can't do this, why the heck am I doing this? All those kinds of questions. And I can choose to live in there if you want, but it's definitely not good news and it's definitely not the kingdom and it definitely doesn't make you feel very good. Is anyone with me? Whereas I, and I had to actually go, um, yep, I'm living in a camp at the moment that's not a very good camp, doesn't have fresh running water. I prefer to go over here because it's got fresh running water and I'm gonna live over here because I know I'm righteous and because of God's righteousness and what he says about me, I'm good enough to do whatever he says I can do. And so I had to switch, get out of there and get it over here. There's a tension in that though, isn't there? And that happens all through faith and following Jesus. Is there are tensions that go on in our lives? The illustration I was thinking of during the week as I was thinking about today was the illustration of if you've ever towed a vehicle or been towed by a car, another car while you're driving a vehicle. It doesn't happen that often. I remember when I was growing up as a kid, it happened all the time. We used to tow vehicles everywhere and whatnot, and it was, um, it was crazy. Now, now I just pick up the phone and ring AA, uh, and they come and do something. Uh, generally put it on the back of a truck if it's really bad. We've had that happen once. But most of the time they just plug this thing in and I start the car, um, the battery generally. But the illustration of towing a vehicle, the thing, Dad, the first time it happened to me, Dad was, uh, Dad was in the vehicle that was towing and he put the rope to my car and he said to me, your primary goal is to concentrate on the rope that is in front of you to keep it under to keep it taut. I'm going to drive at a constant speed. Your job is to manage your brake and the, the, the thing to keep the rope taut. If you don't, what will happen is it'll get slack and then you'll realise it gets slack and the, my car will keep on going and yours will ping and the rope goes. Trust me, the first time I did it, I broke the rope. Because there's actually a bit of talent to this. So you don't actually need a very big rope. You just need to concentrate when you're in the towing, the towed vehicle to keep the rope taut. And it's true for us, that same thing. The only way to get good momentum and to continue to go where you're going when you're being towed by this towed vehicle is to keep the tautness in the rope. If you put the brake on too much, you'll break it because you're pulling on the car and the car's pulling the other way. If you let it too, get too slack, the whole you stop moving and you lose control and all sorts of stuff. The tension is important. And I dare say in the Christian walk, the tension of the truth of these two things, of many different things, is true. And we need to hold it in tension. Because for me to grow in the areas that I know where I'm falling short, where I'm not living the best kind of life. I'm not allowing the good news of the gospel of Jesus and His death and resurrection. I'm not allowing that to fully change and transform me. I know there are areas in my life where I've got that. If I'm not saying that those are true, that I'm acknowledging them, the tension of the truth of that, 
and going, that's not where I want to live. I actually want to live over here, but I first got to acknowledge that that's true. Right? Do you get me? Anything you want to understand about learning to change, first point comes from when you actually acknowledge that I've got something that's wrong and needs to change. So for me, I know that I can go to that not good enough spot real real easy. If I don't identify it, I'll live in this pretty little world where I'm not actually acknowledging the things that need to change in my life. And then I wonder why the kingdom of God isn't expressing dunamis power in my life. See, the only moment I give God an opportunity to explode something in my life is when I acknowledge it and I bring it to him and say, God, help me to change this. That's salvation at work. That's working out my salvation. That's the tension that I have to hold. I know I'm righteous. I'm not gonna feel condemned because I struggle with that particular area of my life. I'm not gonna go to shame because of that area of my life. I'm not allowing myself to take on an identity. That's because of that. I'm taking on the identity because Jesus has said I'm righteous. But I acknowledge that it's there and I know I need to change and I'm asking Holy Spirit to help me. Amen? That's what the gospel at work looks like. This tension exists in our world. Philippians chapter one, verse 27 says this. This is Paul writing again to the the people of Philippi and he says, only let your conduct, let your lifestyle, let the way you live be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, the thing that challenges me there is that often I don't deal with the stuff that needs to be dealt with in my life because no one's looking over my shoulder telling me I need to deal with it. And and Paul is saying here that let let yourself, you need to choose to let your conduct align with the gospel. Whether I'm in prison to tell you off or not, Right? It's, it's like every parent wishes for their kids, that their kids would choose to do the right thing whether they're in the room or not. Right? Are we true? That's what Holy Spirit wants of us too. The interesting thing is we live in the lie and, and we deceive ourselves sometimes that God isn't actually already present with us in that situation that we're choosing not to acknowledge Him in. You can't get away with anything because he's present everywhere at every time. Right? Just because your wife's not there, just because mum and dad aren't there, just because the boss isn't in the space, just because the teachers left the classroom doesn't mean that God's not there and your conduct needs to be chosen to be aligned with the gospel of Jesus. Because it's, it's not what you believe in your head that promotes and, and declares the good news of Jesus to the world. It's how you live your life. And what people see when they watch you that declares the good news of Jesus. Amen. Let's be people 
who are dedicated and committed to seeing the good news expressed and expanded and extended in this community and in our world. Because that's what God has entrusted us with. He's entrusted us with the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Let's not complicate it. Let's not make it difficult. Let's just say Jesus is king. He always will be. And he has done everything he can so that you and I can live in freedom. And we can choose that today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the message of the gospel of the good news is so simple. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you showed and you demonstrated the power of it in the way that you lived your life. Thank you that the constant invitation of the Holy Spirit is into deeper and deeper understanding of what is the good news of the kingdom look like for me? How can I experience more and more of what you have for me? That that's your constant beckoning, your constant invitation to experience more of what you've got for us. And so I pray for every person in this room. I pray that we would open our hearts again afresh to the leading of your Holy Spirit. That as we live our lives, we would live lives that are true and that reflect the truth of the gospel. So that we declare to the world around us that Jesus, you're alive and you're well and you're active today and you love every single one of us unconditionally. And you have grace and abundance for all. And you have the best way to live. And God, we just honor you today. We thank you for all you've done through Jesus. Thank you that we've tasted and seen that you are good. Amen.